Daniel 12. So take your Bible and open to Daniel uh, chapter 12. For those of you who've been here all summer, you know we've been making our way uh, through the book of Daniel since May, I think. Um, and uh, for those of you who are your first time, well, you, you get the caboose <laughs> of, the, of the study. We're in the final chapter of Daniel this morning. And uh, ne- starting next week, we're going to spend about three weeks uh, in Luke chapter 9, uh, particularly thinking about Luke 9, 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. And so uh, if you come back next week, this week maybe read Luke 8 and 9 and that neighborhood of Scripture and prepare your heart for that. But today we're in Daniel, uh, Daniel chapter 12, and... Um, for those of you who haven't been here, just give you a little background. I don't know how long it's been since you read Daniel, if you've ever read Daniel. If you have read Daniel, it's a unique book. Uh, it's 12 chapters. It divides up very evenly in half. You, re- you start reading the first half of Daniel, and it's a page-turner um, because you have all these, these stories of the fiery furnace, and you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the lion's den, and all this kind of stuff. And then you get to chapter 7, and it's like, it's like, wait, it all of a sudden feels like it's the book of Revelation. And you're like, what is all the four beasts and all this kind of stuff? Um, but what, 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 it, what that's doing, though, is if you did notice, even though it is a, the reason the first half of the book is a page turner is because of all the just dramatic conflict that is there in, in Daniel's life. And then what, what the second half of the book does, chapters 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, is it sort of takes you behind the curtain a little bit and, and, and gives you a little bit of greater explanation of why, what's behind all this conflict that Daniel was living through and that every generation is living through. Um, and and we get, we'll get a flavor of that today in Daniel 12. Ch- chapter 12 is sort of the, um, it's the end of a whole unit of the book of Daniel, 10, 11, and I don't know what that is. Um, 10, 11, and 12 uh, are, a, uh, are a unit. Um, so Daniel was praying. He was, he was distraught in chapter 10. And we'll, we'll rehash why. He was distraught, upset. He was praying, fasting and praying in chapter 10. Uh, and the Lord answers, begins to answer him at the end of chapter 10 continues to answer his prayer all the way through chapter 11 and then finishes answering his prayer here in chapter 12 today. So uh, to give you a little bit more bearings, if this is your first time, um, at this point, Daniel, in his life, Daniel was an older man. Um, He had lived most of his life um, under the Babylonian rule. Judah had been in exile for 70 years. uh, but he's, he's at toward the end of his life now, and God was doing a, a, a remarkable work of restoration of his people and letting them go back to their homeland. Um, but that's part of the story, why, the conflict that's going on here. But Daniel, as an old, older man, had seen God prove his faithfulness to him over and over again. Daniel's faith has been, had been tested from a young child when, when Nebuchadnezzar would not allow the boys in his palace uh, and he wanted to force them to eat these particular things and, and, tr- and they were trying to make the children trust in Nebuchadnezzar alone for their provision and for their goodness. And even Daniel, as a young child, said, 
No, our, our, our good comes from the Lord, and so I'm not going to eat what you want me to eat. I'm just going to eat water and vegetables, and, and the Lord bless. So from that early age, Daniel's faith had been tested, and, and God had proven himself faithful over and over and over again, and pro- proved himself faithful in miraculous ways, uh, in the lion's den or in the fiery furnace. Miraculous ways had proved himself faithful. And, uh, and so Daniel, now, as an older man... Uh, knew not just from what Scripture said, but knew from his own experience, like where to turn and what to do, and what hit the, what the posture of his heart would be in a in a hard time, in a difficult time, and circumstance. That's what we've been studying in ten, eleven, and twelve. Uh, like I said, in chapter ten, Daniel was upset, began praying. Chapter eleven, God is answering. Chapter twelve, finishing his answer. So let's just read the chapter, and then I'll, I want to show you what I want us to think about from it. All right, um, Daniel 12, beginning in verse 1. Um, At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such has never been, uh, such as never has been since there was a nation until that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. And then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on uh, this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand, and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel. For the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Let's pray. Father, this is your holy and inspired and inerrant word. We, we bow in submission to it, Lord. We want to stand under its authority. We want to... We want your word to shape our minds and our 
our, our worldview, our, the way we see the world around us. And we certainly want it to shape the way we see you and ourselves. So, Father, I pray that you would, uh, as we pray so often, give us minds to understand the truth that is in this passage and give us hearts to embrace and love that truth so that you might give us wills to obey the truth wherever it is found and give us all eyes to see and please give me the help that I need to teach this passage faithfully and give us ears to hear the truth. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, Val, this thing right here is like destroyed, so I think. So you might need to punch through the, the slides when we come to them. All right, so here's how I want to um, here's how I want to see this passage. Here's how I want to break it up. I want us to see three things in it. So I think as you begin reading it, if you haven't been here, it may not be apparent to you at, at first glance. If you have been here, it might not be apparent. But the first the first thing we see is the the problem that Daniel and the Jews were facing. It's sort of a summary of what we've been seeing in the previous chapters what it was that was leading Daniel back in chapter 10 to cry out to the Lord in prayer. And then I want us to see very clearly the promise that he gives to Daniel and to every believer. It's a beautiful, beautiful promise. It's, it's the truth that, that, that should... This promise that he gives is the truth that should orient the direction and outlook of our whole lives. I'm not even joking about that. <laughs> like, this is the truth that should orient and direct our whole lives. And then finally, I want to take a minute and see what God would have to, Daniel to do in the meantime, in the present, as he waits for this promise that God gave to become a reality. So let's, let's, let's dive in and, uh, and turn our attention first to the problem described in the very first verse. So in the opening words of the chapter, what we find is a, is a summary of what we've been seeing in the last a couple of chapters, all that's described in chapters 10 and 11. So look at how verse 1 begins. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. And we'll stop reading right there in verse 1. So like I said, that's a summary of what we've already seen. If you're here, remember how chapter 10 opened. Chapter 10 uh, began, like in verse 2, it talks about how Daniel was in mourning for three weeks. He ate no delicacies, no meat, no wine, entered his mouth. He didn't anoint himself at all. He didn't take a bath for three weeks. And he was just crying out to the Lord in, in fasting and prayer. Why? Well, we learned at that time it was because he had learned, well, he had, it says very specifically, he had been reading Jeremiah. And Jeremiah plainly says, uh, God said through Jeremiah very plainly that the, pe- the people of Judah were going to be in exile for 70 years. But when 70 years are up, the people go home. And sure enough, um, when Daniel had been reading that, and he goes, well, 70 years are about up. What's going to happen? Cyrus becomes king, and he sends all the, the Jews home and says, you can rebuild the temple. You can rebuild the walls of the city. Remember all that with Ezra and Nehemiah? And the work begins great, but not very far into it at all. The foundation of the temple was laid, but once that got laid, the work completely stopped because of opposition. Again, you can read about that in Ezra 4 and all through Nehemiah. Um, 
and, and, and it, it confused Daniel. I mean, think about Daniel. Daniel had been living in the palace of a pagan king all his life. All his life, his life was nothing but opposition. And finally, finally, God was appearing to move and to bring about his promises and, 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 and restore the people. And as soon as he got started, it stopped. And it, it overwhelmed him. And he fasted and he prayed. And the Lord, by the end of the chapter, begins to answer his prayer. And, uh, and really, uh, among the things that he said in his answer was basically, there's trouble in this world. <laughs> That's his answer. There's trouble in the world. Specifically, if Aaron Wine taught last week. I know it was good because he's a good teacher. Um, but if you remember what he said last week, that, there, that the world just is going to grow increasingly evil and unstable. That's part of his answer in chapter 11. Um, Daniel, you're, you're down because of the opposition uh, to the work in Jerusalem, but that's just how the world is. There is opposition to the work. That's just part and parcel of living in this world. That's, the, that's the, the, what is being summarized in, this opening, in the opening words, that the evil of this world will continually increase, as it says, until there shall be a time of trouble like never before. And not only that, but the mention of Michael. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince. It, it mentions, mentions him. That's a, that's a reference to the archangel Michael, um, which is mentioned in other parts of the Bible. Why is he mentioned here? Again, like I, like I said earlier, remember how um, the first half of the book of Daniel is just like a page-turner of all these events in Daniel's life? And then you get to chapter 7, and it all of a sudden sounds like the book of Revelation. And, it, and what, what's the purpose of that? It's kind of pulling back the curtain and showing you behind the scenes of all this opposition in Daniel's life. Well, Michael is mentioned here to, to, to remind Daniel and to remind us that the volatility and the evil we see in the world isn't just happening. Like, it's, it's being influenced by a spiritual battle going on that we can't see between the Lord, between Satan, and between angels and angels. There's a spiritual battle going on that we can't see, but it is just, if you believe the Scriptures, it is just as real as the things you can see. The Bible could not be clear that that, that is happening, not only here, uh, but last year we studied through the letter to the Ephesians, and you know, at the end of Ephesians, uh, Paul tells the believers there to put on the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of who? The devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now when he says, when Paul says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, he's not saying we don't have conflict with one another. He's just saying, the most fundamental conflict we have is not with one another. There is a deeper conflict going on in all, all horizontal conflict between people. I don't know if you woke up this morning or any morning realizing that you're up against all of that, but God tells us in his word that we are up against more than just each other. Jesus said that the gates of hell would not prevail against his kingdom. Now, he, he said that the gates of hell would not prevail 
the gates of hell will strike against and strike against and strike against and strike against. And the gates of hell will, will, will battle against the, the kingdom of God for all of time. And Jesus does not deny that. What he does say is they won't prevail. They won't prevail. But the spiritual battle is, is real. And it, it, you know, but, so know, know this, though, that the Bible is also clear that angels are also active in the world in a good way. It's not just evil angels have, have the run of the thing. When you hear about angels appearing in the, in the Bible, you may think of majestic appearances to like Mary and Joseph or the shepherds out in the field when Jesus was born. Or you, but even, even beyond the majestic ones, uh, there's, a, there's a verse right at the end of Hebrews that has always been intriguing to me. Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. What? So there are Old Testament examples of that, but the whole point of that is saying that angels are at work in the world, and we don't even know it. And in fact, you might have met one. <laughs> I mean, that's what it's basically saying. But going back to Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, we're told that Michael, the great prince, is at work. The highest, the highest of angels is at work in the world, just as surely as Satan is at work in the world. The battle is, is, is going on, and, and, uh, and because of that battle, we experience hardship in our lives. That's just a summary here in the first verse of all we've seen in the last two chapters, chapters 10 and chapters 11, really, of all of Daniel's life. And this, is the ta- this right here, this chapter, is the tail end of a long passage going back two chapters. Of a, a lot of, a lot of the, the news that would have been hard for Daniel to hear and maybe hard for us to hear in our, in our own time, it's just saying, hey, yeah, the reality is that the world is going from bad to worse. And we'll stay on that track until Jesus comes back. But that's where the second half of the verse goes. Once the description of the problem is finished, the Lord gives to Daniel and to us a marvelous promise. Um, to always keep in mind. After describing and summarizing the problem in the first half of the first verse, he continues in the second half. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So Daniel is promised that deliverance from every trouble will come. He says specifically, your people shall be delivered. Shall be will be. In fact, he says, everyone whose name is found in the book. Does that sound familiar at all? Especially if you've read Revelation. Everyone whose name is written in the book. Every child of God. Every believer. Everyone whose name is written in what Revelation calls the Lamb's book of life. That's the only book I know of that people's names are written in. In Scripture, What he's saying here is God will deliver, not just Daniel, not just the Jews, God will deliver every child of his from every trouble. But when? When? We'll look at verse 2. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now what is that? That's the resurrection. What does the scripture say? I've already talked about this when we talked about 
it is well with my soul. What does, what does Scripture say will happen when the Lord Jesus returns? Some will rise to life, some will rise to death. In other words, Daniel and, and, and we, who have this word still today, are promised here that this, that should complete rest from every trouble we have in life, should it never come in this life, should it never come, it will most assuredly come in the next life. That's the promise. And before we dismiss that as, well, that's kind of cold comfort, you know, you mean like my troubles are not, I got to wait till the next life. Before you say that's not very comforting, do consider that James puts the very legitimate question to us in James 4.14. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That promise that, that comfort will come in the next life, even if it never comes in this one, that is only cold comfort if you think that this life is of endless duration or something. Or like, I'm going to, if you, if you just feel relatively confident, you're going to live a long time. <laughs> you know, but none of us are promised that. And even if we live our four score and ten, it goes by fast. The older you get, you see it. What does that mindset, though, look like in real life? What does it look like for hardship to be severe and constant and and yet still to be comforted by, should it never stop in this life? Well, what does that look like in practical, a practical life? Well, just think, for example, about Paul, the Apostle Paul. Now, I want you to think about two things that he said in the same letter in the book of 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 11, it, he talks about how he had been through far greater labors far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day at sea. I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Let that one marinate for just a minute, you know. Like of all that list, I mean, they're all really bad. There's not like any, not any good ones in there. I mean, even the mild ones are like adrift at sea. That's awful. I mean, can you imagine if that were your life? And now, can you imagine saying what he just said there? And, and, and reconcile that with what he just said a few chapters before that in chapter 4. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. I bet those five times 
of being 39 lashes or the three times of being beaten with rods. I'm sure they didn't happen in three consecutive days or five consecutive days. I mean, you, what, what he just described is a prolonged, lifelong experience of suffering. And this light momentary affliction. I'm sure being adrift at sea for a night and a day and sleepless nights don't go by quickly or being beaten with rods five times feels either light or momentary in the middle of it. Paul knew that better than anybody. But he also knew that no matter what it felt like in the moment, it was light and momentary in light of the eternal weight of glory that God had prepared for him beyond all comparison. In light of eternity, everything in life is a mist. It's momentary. And I want want to say one little quick thing about that. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What I want to point out to you in that verse, just as an aside, is it's not, that is not saying that while you are suffering, oh, by the way, this great thing is also being prepared for you. Like this, this comfort is being prepared for you. Like while, while this is going on, that's going on. No, that is actually saying this is preparing that. The, the, the affliction, the affliction is, is what is actually preparing the weight of glory. The affliction is, in other words, the, 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 the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison could not happen apart from the affliction. The affliction is what's making it for you. It's preparing it for you. And that's what God promised to Daniel in his answer to his prayer as well. For, for those whose names are written in the book of life, deliverance will come. Revelation 21.4 gives more description to that deliverance when it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Those things are present now, but at one point in time, they will be the former things. They're not going to be anymore. That's the same promise he gave to Daniel in chapter 12, just in fewer words. And that's the promise we have. And it's the pers- that's the perspective that we have to keep in mind, unless we're just whistling past the graveyard. <laughs> I mean, and, and, and got our finger in our ears going, la, 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 la. See life for what it is. Be realistic about life. And have this perspective in the middle of it, that in every hardship, and you may have an easy life, but look around, people don't have it easy. Every hardship, every injustice, every difficulty, we're only here for a moment. And eternity is going to swallow it up. And Daniel's told in verse 3, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like stars forever and ever. That's the hope of glory. That's the hope that Jesus gives to everybody who trusts in him. Right now, it's hope. One day, it's going to be reality. One day, it will be sight. That's what we sang about earlier. And for that, though, we, we wait now. We wait. We wait. You know, there's a famous phrase in, in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, the chapter you hear at weddings. It's a, it's a substantive chapter. You should, you should read it and meditate on it outside of weddings. The love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind, you know. That's a gritty chapter. But there's this, that, that famous phrase at the end of the chapter where Paul says, now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Have you ever 
wondered why love was greater than hope and faith? They're all great. Why is love better? Because faith one day will go away. Because we'll see it with our own eyes. And so we'll hope, because it won't be hope anymore. It'll be our present experience. But love will never come to an end or be replaced by anything else. But you see, right now, we're in the hope stage. One day, hope will be no more, but we're in it right now. It means we're just waiting for this great day that he's talking about. It's not quite here yet. So what are we to do in the meantime? Well, we take comfort that in our, in our, in our future, what about the present? We're told that in this chapter as well, which is the last thing I want us to see. What does God want us to do in the present while, we're wait, while we wait on what he's promised us? Well, we trust him. And we specifically trust three things about him. We trust three things about the Lord. First, we trust his word. Notice in verse 4, Daniel is told, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. What does that mean? Well, he's, he's being told to write down all the things that he's been shown and told. Write it down. And write it down and seal it up and shut it up. Not so that nobody can see it. Write it down so that, the, that future, nothing will take it away. So that future generations can read and know all these things and be comforted by them too. So we, we're to know, while we wait, we're to trust His Word. We're to know what God has told us in the Scriptures. And trust what He tells us here. Your life may not feel like a mist and a vapor, but if Scripture says it is, it is. Trust what it says. Paul told Timothy that the Scriptures are, are, are there to make us wise unto salvation and to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We trust His Word while we wait. Second, we trust His mercy. We see this in verse 7, where Daniel is told that the severe trials that he's enduring would be for a time, times, and half a time. Crystal clear. What in the world? Well, that's three and a half times. (laughs) (laughs) So what? Well, seven times, seven times is a complete period of God's judgment. Seven times is a complete, are you just making that up? No. God brought, earlier in the book, God brought a judgment on Nebuchadnezzar. Remember when he went crazy like an animal and ate grass and didn't cut his fingernails? And Remember that? God was bringing a judgment on him. And back in chapter 4, verse 25, this is what God told Nebuchadnezzar. You shall be driven among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Seven periods of time. When whatever was the full judgment that God had planned for Nebuchadnezzar, when it was fully complete, he was restored to his right reason, and he returned to his throne. Seven times is a full measure of God's judgment. And here, it's only described as a time, times, and a half a time. Three and a half times. 
So it's not God's full judgment on the world yet. You see, seven times is the whole thing. This is half the thing on the world. So he has, in other words, he has mercy on the world. He's having mercy on the world right now. Not, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Right? He has mercy on the world, and he withholds some of his wrath and some of his anger until the very end when those who trust in Jesus will be saved from it. We trust his mercy in the meantime, that though it be bad, God is merciful in it. I can trust his word, and he's merciful. And the third thing we want to trust during the waiting time is we trust his timing. Trust his timing. The same kind of period of time is described in a second way later in verse 11. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Um, here's what I do want to say about 1,290 days. I don't think it's totally divorced from, symbolically from three, three and a half times. But what I do want to say, why, why say why, if it is the same thing, why say it two different ways like this? Why say time times half a time and then 1,290 days? Well, what I see in that is, is it's emphasizing the precision. It's emphasizing the precision in which God is measuring up the period of hardship in the world. That he's not going to allow it to go one day too long. So we trust his word, we trust his mercy, and we trust his timing to bring his will about. So in the meantime, Daniel is twice given a command. Once in verse 9 and once in verse 13. In verse 9, he, said, he is told, Go your way, Daniel, for the words of the Lord are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. And then he's told again in verse 13, But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the day. So two times he said, in the midst of all this, he's, the hardship is real, he's been given a promise, from God, a beautiful promise, but it's not a present reality yet, like the fullness of that promise you have to wait on. So what do you do in the meantime? You trust his word, you trust his mercy, you trust his timing, you trust his purpose, and go your way. Go your way. If we do that, then one day it says, you, one day you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place. At the end of the days. What is our allotted place? Read scripture. Our allotted place is with the Lord. In forever joy. That will multiply every hardship in this life. Multiply it into happiness. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us. An eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Romans 8, 18. The, these, these afflictions are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. That's a good word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this word. Thank you for this great book of Daniel. Thank you for leaving it to us.